Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman, and our producer, Marshall James. What's up, everybody? We're here. We're back. It's uh, it's an exciting day. There's so many things happening in the world today. I was on seven airplanes this week in two days. <laughs> Just seven? Uh, <laughs> that's more than you, but like twice as much. I think I was on five double connectings and then a flight so, back. So two more, two more. Yeah, good for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Did you? Fly, we get it. You guys fly. Did you fly into <laughs> Chicago at landing at two and then leave at five? Well, I was with you on the flight into Chicago. So, uh, all right, let's let's move on. Today we're talking about magic. Yeah, this is the Masters of Modern podcast. This we talk yeah, modern, modern on this show. Magic. Yeah. Um, today we're talking about mostly uh, things to do with the mulligan rule. That's like kind of the overarching subject. So for people that don't know, uh, at G, not not a pro tour, at the Mythic Championship, hmm. uh, London, uh, which is a modern one, super exciting. They are testing out, they are pressure testing a new mulligan rule that they've come up with where... Uh, and we'll get into that in a second. Uh, the other thing we're probably going to go over is there was a ban and restriction announcement. Nothing happened, but uh, people wanted something to happen, and we're going to discuss the different opinions we have on that subject matter. Um, and last but not least, uh, we'll be talking about um, decks that, on that subject matter, people have thought should have been banned that weren't. And yeah. yeah, decks that like at one point in time were the most oppressive deck that everybody's like, oh, this is the best deck, modern solved, you have to ban a card, and then... Three or four months pass and like it, nothing happened and it right. was fine. Yeah, it seems like a ton of cool stuff to talk about today. So uh, without further ado, we're gonna run the pre-roll ad card. Go. What's up, guys? Masters of Modern here. I'm Ben Bateman. I'm Alex Kessler. And we've got a couple quick shout-outs for you guys that we wanted to remind you of on this episode. The first one is Twitter, at the MMCast. We've had a Twitter for years. It's a great place to interact with us. We post exclusive images of our brand-new spoiler cards, all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out, at the MMCast. It is a great way to support the show. Kess, where can the folks find you personally? I'm at Kess Wiley. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. The second thing is we have a YouTube. You may be watching this right now, honestly. You might be listening to it. But one of the big pushes for us in 2019 is to build this YouTube channel. We want to get more eyes, more ears, bigger guests, better episodes, higher production quality. We even hired a producer right now, so you might even see the camera angles changing. Subscribe, like, comment. It's going really well so far, and honestly, if you guys support it, even if you're an audio listener already, it's a huge thing you can do to help us grow this. The third thing, and maybe the most important thing for our long-term health, is patreon.com slash the MMcast. Guys, this year is going to have a ton of cool rewards for you. We really want to make the Patreon feel special, and it's a great way to help us grow. Our ability to hire the producer, to get new gear, to do anything cool in the future is going to be dependent on our ability to actually pay for it. Because right now, Alex and I are just paying out of pocket for the show. You know, We love it, but that's what we're doing. Well, and, and the producer will help us kind of make sure we stay on stuff on Patreon, so it'll be a really thriving community. Yeah. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the command zone. Jimmy Wong, Josh Lee Kwai, these guys helped us start this thing. Mm -hmm. Collected.company is where you can find their stuff. They're seriously the most professional magic people in the world. Not named Ben and Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they make awesome content every week, commander-focused. They do game nights. They do uh, the command zone is the, obviously the podcast, the sister podcast of Uncast. Check them out, Collected.company. It's the same place you can find our episodes every week as well. And the last thing is if you guys want to check out a great community, check out the Facebook group, the Masters of Modern. There's a ton of people in there. It's very interactive. There are constantly threads about new decks, new conversations. Uh, it's very active. Check it out. That's uh, Facebook, the official Masters of Modern group. And otherwise, let's get back to the show. Yep. Thanks, guys. So we're back. And the big news was, as you mentioned, there were no changes to the ban list. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of clamoring that maybe there was something that needed to be banned. I would say probably the card at this point is Faithless Looting. But it's so fascinating because before the Mythic Championship and before KCI was banned, everyone was like, we need to ban Ancient Stories. And even I was probably on that train, though. Uh, my point on that is more that preordained being banned when Ancient Stirrings and Faithless Looting are both legal seems weird because I think both of those are more powerful spells than preordain, and it just makes blue worse at cantripping, which seems silly. Uh, now I understand that unbanning preordain makes Phoenix just that much better, but fine. Uh, but after KCI was banned, you know, the main target for Ancient Stirrings kind of goes away. You know, there's war decks, and there's decks that come back, and, like, you know, everyone's talking about Dredge and Phoenix, but these war tutor decks are doing really well. These prison decks are doing well. Tron still is around, Troning around, and we'll talk about Tron a few times today. Um, 
I mean, yeah, you have but, but the you best two decks in the format are Faithless Looting decks. I mean, that the, the card is also utilized by like the Azusa deck, the the Amulet deck, yeah, yeah, the Amulet deck, decks. It's also utilized by when people go back old school and they decide they want to play uh, Lantern. Like right. that that card is really good. That well, card no, think, is really. No, like, good. I think right now in the format, the top five decks are, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. We don't have a prepared list, so I might be wrong. Uh, Phoenix Dredge. Uh, the war decks, war-based tutor decks. Um, humans and shadow. No humans and uh, 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 the lands. The you just they use a amulet. Amulet. An amulet deck has shown up in every top eight. Yeah. Since okay. That's KCL fair. Was banned. Right around. It's the there. only deck that has done that. That's not Dredge and Phoenix. Yeah, double shadow at, at Magic Fest. I'm pretty sure in the top eight. So I would say that that's like five and six. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but like shadow shown up in one in in spades, but not across the board in the same way. It's been surprised. Like people aren't talking about it, but yeah. like if you literally look at all of these events, just I think it's fair. Yeah, I mean those are that's, people that's, casting Tolario West are just doing really well out there. Yeah. That's like that's and like the top like, five the or six. I'm trying to remember the Tolario West is worth so much money now. I, I, I used to. Yeah, I think that I think a regular Tolario West is worth like fourteen or fifteen dollars really? now. I oh, think yeah. so. What's a foil worth? The fancy foil is not worth much more. The uh, the real foil. The real foil. The future side foil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a lot. Probably like fifty bucks. Because uh, I had like six <laughs> Teleria Wests yeah, at one point <laughs> that was just like hanging out in a box, like along with all my other future side uncommons. And just people just, are like, doing their like top five favorite cards. Teleria West is like almost made the list. It's for six. a lot of people. No, my my top top five. Top top five. It's oh, probably number fun, six. That'd be a fun thing for us to do. There's a lot of top five things going on. We could do a top five, just like different random subject matters. On the subject Next of week. on the subject of like top things that I would like to do at some point, you and I talked about this, but like top hundred most powerful magic cards of all time is a conversation because we play Highlander and sure. so like I was trying to figure out online like what powerful cards I don't play in my wheel. So I was looking up like top hundred most powerful cards and I was like, man, there's like some top fifty, top twenty fives. There's no like recent top hundred comp- comprehensive list online that I could find. Worry the people to do it. I think so. I think we should. I think we should <laughs> I do will that. Show. Add it to the list. Got also, it. foil pack foil Teleria West is worth forty five dollars according to eBay and Card King. So I like foiled out that Geist of Saint Traft EDH deck like almost years six ago. years ago now. And I think you've made a lot of money. Yeah, a lot. Like one of the best <laughs> investments I've ever made. Like every single card in it is just like there's some big misses because there's some like oh this new card in standard is really cool like a uh, dig through time and I'm like it needs to be in this deck and foils are forty bucks I'm just gonna buy it now and those aren't worth that much foils but like, like nine bucks there's now. some cards in there just like yeah and I like some of them I even realized like thawing glaciers on the reserve list I didn't yeah. know thawing glaciers on the reserve list and there's only like one foil that could ever exist of it so it's like yeah just upside. Guys, is interrupt is interesting because he has like three or four different foil printings. Yeah. Which one is your commander? The original, over oh. pack foil. Oh, gee, because I have the I have the uh, from the vault, uh, double sided angel demon foil angel token, which is also impossible to find. Yeah, it's not as special now that we've now gotten like three foil angel printing tokens. But like, there was a while where it was like one of two foil tokens. Period. It in merit Liege. Um, so funny. Moving on with. What we're talking about, because yeah. <laughs> none of this is modern related, um, and you were like, "We have, we're gonna have time." We are gonna like have two time. weeks since we've talked about magic. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think I think Stirrings was the card, and it seems like right now the more violent offender is Faithless Looting. Well, yeah, because everyone's looking at Dredge being the best and Phoenix being the best two decks in the format, and see, seeing like, "Hey, this is a problem." Like, you know, Faithless Looting is really good now. I think banning Faithless Looting would be a big mistake. I think that um, out of, you know, someone was writing an article of, like, if Dredge is actually a problem. Because I think, I think Phoenix being good is a great thing. Like, I, I tweeted this the other day, but all of these people have been begging for Splinter Twin to come back so that blue-red, like, tempo control combo decks can be good again. And then it happens, and the whole world immediately is like, ah, ban it. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> Just, I mean, I mean, I think one thing to clarify, because... What happens sometimes now is we'll get tweets or comments on YouTube from people who are like, I'm just getting into Modern for the first time. I've just found your show. I'm really excited. You know, whatever. Thanks for the content, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there are things to point out. Like, why is Faithless Looting so good? I mean, sure. and I think the idea there is that Faithless Looting, you know, one red sorcery, draw two, discard two, and then it has flashback. It's designed to be card disadvantage, but it's card selection. That's what that card is, right? You don't draw a card. You, you, you get both sides of it. You get a lot of card selection. But because Modern's card pool is so deep your graveyard becomes an extension of your hand, which is why dumping a Phoenix or something like Dredge, utilizing Dredge triggers. It's very easy to make that card into one mana, draw two cards. 
with it, flashback draw two cards. With two flashback more cards. for three mana, draw two cards. That's how and, it functions in And modern, in Dredge, right? it's even better because for those who don't know how Dredge works, uh, there is a mechanic called Dredge. It was the Golgari mechanic from original Ravnica. And basically, there's a number. And instead of if that card with that number and Dredge next to it is in your graveyard, instead of drawing a card, you can instead put that card into your hand and then mill or put that many cards from that number into your graveyard. And so if you have two Stinkweed Imps, which is the highest Dredge number card legal and modern uh, in your graveyard and you fit this looting instead of drawing two cards for one red mana it's draw 10 cards for one red mana because all of those cards go in your graveyard and then because dredge works the way it does there's narc and other cards that you get to cast for free because when you mill them from your deck into your graveyard you get to cast them for free and actually what i was going to say is if because like uh, of the two decks dredge is the one that wizards like dredge is kind of the second to storm as least favorite thing that you can do in magic to wizards perspective they like you can play out the graveyard but they don't like the way that dredge isn't magic it plays differently right for right the right reason i just kind of stated um and so it's the one that like is most likely to be targeted in the same way that kci was if dredge consistently does as well as it's doing right now and there's two cards I think people were pointing out that were actually a problem, and it's not Faithless Looting. Because, like, Cathartic Reunion is better in Dredge than Faithless Looting is. Cathartic um, Reunion is insane. Right. And yeah. And so, but, you know, there's there's an amalgamation of those cards that do that, but really looking at Conflagrate or um, yeah. the more problematic card, which is the new one that I am forgetting what it is called. And Creeping Chill? Yes, Creeping Chill. Yeah. Um, where those are the two cards that let kind of dredge just like burn your opponent out and don't even have to make them attack you can't block what they're doing they're just like i'm gonna kill you i lost a conflagrate against dredge opponents in, in la a couple weeks weekends ago a lot mm -hmm. and i was shocked at just like how good it was i like i own a bunch of conflagrates i remember the card coming out i've mm -hmm. seen them play it in dredge before creeping chill was annoying and it made it it wasn't very fun to lose to sure but Conflagrate was like, wow, the inevitability here is unbeatable. Like right. I, and, and the problem with it is, is like, and if you get rid of Conflagrate, Loam also becomes somewhat worse because the lands you're getting back from your graveyard just become dead cards in your hand. They're not like right. discard things to Conflagrate someone out of the game. So like the deck becomes a lot fairer. And th I feel like that's the card, to tar one of the two cards to target out of the deck. Going after Faithless Looting is kind of the same as going after Stirring. So many decks are held together by that card. And... This is the other point, and kind of the point of this episode. Neither of these decks are that good yet. Like we no. were like a month out of the banning of KCI. The metagame is shifting. Like literally, this time two years ago, every single person on the planet was like, "Oh, Death Shadow needs to be banned." The card right. Death Shadow, or uh, what's the cycle guy? Yeah, Street Wraith. Street Wraith needs to go, or like the Tutor. Yeah, Uvenwald. Uh, uh, oh, Traverse. 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 Uvenwald needs to go. Like. All and these traverse cards see play anymore. No, I mean yeah. the Jun, it was Jun Shadow at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, like, yeah. The, the modern is riddled with a history of decks like this, mm -hmm. where people people get so freaked out by the dominance of a deck for a period of time. And what it really is is that, and I think the reason this happens is that modern is such an expensive format to get into mm -hmm. that you commit to your deck and you learn how to play your deck and you mm -hmm. get excited about your deck. If you have a bad matchup with the best deck at that time, mm -hmm. and you play against it more than you would like to, you don't have the money or the time to go build another deck. You start to feel like this format's not fun for me anymore because my local F and M, I can't like I'm not winning. Decks. Especially especially when the new best deck is inexpensive or at a bare minimum, the cards that make it expensive were parts of other decks that people already had. So like that's kind of the point with this Phoenix deck is it's really easy to build this deck because the main expensive card in it is Phoenix. Yeah, and. Other than... And the mana base. And the mana base, but, like, there's thousands of twin players out there that have just been, like, I have every blue-red card that you could ever need, but I don't have a deck to play them in. And that's why they wanted Splinter Twin back, is, like, I want to play my blue-red deck, and now Phoenix shows up, and it's like, oh. It's also fascinating, like, <laughs> just really good. on a side note, like, you and I were playing... Uh, called, we, it, called it? Called it? Called it? Is the side note that I know how no. good Phoenix is? <laughs> we, uh, the, the decked app we've talked about on here before is awesome, and Alex on an airplane, and Alex and I on an airplane yesterday were playing Magic off of the decked app. Oh, it was one of the best. We were sitting in, we both got up here at the first class. Uh, <laughs> we were in the front row bulkhead in first class, and we were just like playing decked, and like. It was like, so what do you, it was, it was like, so what do you have in play? He's like, I've got a Lenore Wastes, a tapped Overgrown Tomb, and a Grove of the Burn Willows. And what I'm is like, this? so decked is an app that is like, a, just, it's like a tap, it's tapped but on a phone. So you can build decks on it. It's a whole data deck database, and it has like so a shuffle function, life counter. It, now you, you can you can goldfish on it too. It has a goldfish function, so you can draw a card of seven. You can like 
and then it has like in play and so you were gold fishing against each other we were literally playing games yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) you have to remember what was in play that was was like one challenge but my point was the 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 version of the deck we were playing 100 card format we've talked about on here before and i tried to build a blue red spells deck because i enjoyed playing phoenix so much Mm -hmm. and i was shocked Going back to the beginning of Magic, I mean, literally getting access to all the banned cantrips, getting access to every good burn spell, all the stuff that's not modern, trying to build a deck that was as good as Modern Phoenix with 100 cards, Singleton, not even close. Mm -hmm. The redundancy in Modern is so high. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. I was was seriously shocked. Like, getting access to legacy cards, Force of Will and Daze and Brainstorm, and, like, just the fact that it's one copy out of 100 versus the four ofs in Modern... Modern's an incredibly powerful format. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I think people think about like vintage and legacy as though somehow the card quality is so much higher. It's not. It's not. It's like there's there's like we we were talking about this before because Modern Horizons is obviously coming up and talking about what cards can be printed in the Modern Horizons and and I think the big question mark on the wall and we're gonna have a whole episode about Modern Horizons so I don't want to get too into it here but uh the big question mark on the wall is Force Will right like that's that's the yeah. Like, a lot of people think it's going to be Counterspell. I'm on the consideration that there will be two good Counterspells in this set, and one of them is going to be rare, and one of them, like, my bet are on Counterspell and Flusterstorm, if I had to, like, put money down today. Yeah. Um, But I think, like, Force of Will is the other one, and Force of Will is Wizards making a statement. It's like, this is, like, and that's a big play. That's like putting Jace in in whatever, and then having it be unbanned the day after. Like, it's a similar kind of moment. And... What are the three defining cards of Legacy? Or, like, it, it is one of those. It's Wasteland, Brainstorm, and Force, and of, Force of Will. And, and does Wizards... Is Force of Will a card that makes Modern too much like Legacy? Or does it still keep it separated? My point was I don't think it does. I think Force of Will is the least defining of the three defining cards of Legacy in the sense that, like, yeah, but, yeah, we can move on. Yeah, I think... I think <laughs> and I honestly think we've talked about this before, and when we get to the Modern Horizons episode, we'll talk about it a bit more, but... I don't actually think that playing a Force of Will in your modern deck very often is going to make your deck better. I think it's actually going to make your deck worse in a lot of cases. I think it makes cards like Jason's very much better. Like, like the ability to turn your four or five drop that's bad in matchups, like Dredge, into yeah. a counterspell is like... Maybe, maybe. I think card disadvantage is definitely not something you want to be doing yourself modern if you can avoid it, so... Yeah. Well, I think Brainstorm not being there is... Like, Brainstorm is a much more defining card, but we can... That's, again, Modern Horizons episode. Yeah. Coming to you in an episode near you. So with no bandless changes, be near you. <laughs> <laughs> with no it's always changes, as near as your smartphone. That's true. With no bandless changes, as we kind of continue down the road of decks that should have had a card ban, maybe needed to, but never did. Well, before, before I, do, I do want to make kind of the point that, like, right now we're in a, a moment where Wizards is also not going to be making any changes to the format until after Modern Horizons comes out. Because, like, maybe after the Pro Tour, like, what, what could happen is Pro Tour happens, the Mulligan rules is mostly fine, but Dredge is too good with it. And we're going to go over a little bit later that why Dredge could be much better with this new Mulligan right. rule. And they need to get a, a rid of a card of it. Maybe it's Faithless Looting. Maybe Faithless Looting with this new Mulligan rule is too powerful. But I don't think they're going to ban cards before the Mythic Championship, seeing that the point of this Mythic Championship is a pressure test. Like, like the, the reason this is happening is to do a figure out if this r- rule works and that doesn't work if you change what the metagame was beforehand they need all of the data they've had since kci was banned to compare it to the pro the mythic championship to see how the mulligan rule affects the format and then they'll make decisions so uh, nothing's going to happen until after that and we'll see yeah and so so we'll we'll have a kind of a whole conversation about the mulligan rule in just a second yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's the thing we're going to do today but i do want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned in the pre-roll which was Decks that people have thought needed to be banned that never did. So we talked about Death Shadow. That's, yeah. the, that's the first and best example. And I remember when Shadow broke out originally, we had Corey on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Shadow was just becoming the deck, and he told us on the show, you know, I think Death Shadow has been a thing you could have been playing the whole time. I think it's a legacy-level deck. People are just discovering it now. Well, I it think was. It's like, just... every card in it was legal. Like, though, it, it came out because they banned Gitaxian Probe, and so the deck started stopped being, like, a... The previous Double Strike, uh, not Double Strike, the... Yeah, before they banned Gitaxian Teamer Probe. Battle Rage Death, version. Yeah, Death, Death Shadow was more of a, like, weird, I, like, lower my life total and then give my guy Double Strike There was a kiln, There was, like, Kiln Fiend versions yeah, people were playing. Yeah, it was more, like, playing. Zoo than yeah. anything. And then when they got rid of it, they're like, oh, no, this, this is just a Tarmogoyf-level, power-level card because yeah, you just format. play you just play Angler and Shadow and a ton of disruption, and you're fine. Yeah, fetches and thought seizes. Like, yeah. The best interaction in the format makes you pay life. <laughs> 
<laughs> but actually, at that point, they hadn't even gotten to Snapcaster in the blue version, Stubborn sure. Denial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was still the Traverse version. You were playing green, so you could play Tarmogoyf, and, you, and the green could get you extra copies of Shadow off your Traverse, mm-hmm. and Mishra's Bobble, and, and Street Wraith, and all that stuff. I, we played but that deck for six months, basically, that year. Death Shadow was what Phoenix is now. It was the interactive deck that was number one, played a big tempo game. Everyone thought, like, a card needs to get banned. Tax and Probe just got banned, so everyone was looking at Street Wraith, as I mentioned before. Yep. Being like, oh, this is another free draw card spell. Um, people were looking at, you know, Death Shadow itself. People Traverse. People were looking at Traverse. We, you know, there was different options out of the deck. And then it went into the Grixis. People were talking – some people were talking about Mishra's Bobble. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mishra's Bobble needs to be banned because it's too, like, easy to get Delirium off of it. And six months later – Death Shadow is a decent part of the format. Became, if you had a Death Shadow deck became, right now, you'd be doing good, but it's it's like a tier two regularly. It became – things happened. It became Grixis. Mm-hmm. They stopped playing Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf started dropping in price like crazy. Isn't like, yeah, $50 it's right now. It's fl- less than 50 been. bucks. Yeah. Uh, they stopped playing Traverse. They don't play that card at all anymore. Well, I've they seen, dropped green, so. I've seen four-color <laughs> versions that still play Traverse, but like in the primary version of the deck that you'll play at a GP, they don't play it. Mm-hmm. Uh and then it just became Grixis, and now the Grixis Shadow deck is is a really good deck, but mm-hmm. it feels like like a lot of decks in modern. It's powerful and cohesive, and you can get run over by it, but you right. also can just beat it. Like, when they printed cards, like, you know, Mar- Mardu got better, and that deck didn't really want to play with those same cards. Uh, Grixis Control straight up started doing real well, pretty much off the back of Cory. <laughs> um, you had Humans showed up, and Humans was a medium matchup. You had a lot of, de- like, Dredge got better, again, because they pre- printed Creeping Chill. Like, there's just consistently new in decks that went around. Death Shadow got better and better in the format. Speaking of Humans, that's another one. Yeah. Now, Humans is probably the most recent prior to Phoenix mm-hmm. that was in this category uh, of months and months of really dominant play, tons of discussion, showing up in top eights constantly. Well, this is something that also happens after every Mythic Championship or Pro Tour, is pros like or get a format to a position they break it and then the whole community starts just playing the decks that the pros were playing with that's one of the reasons wizards kind of canceled the modern pro tour for a while to begin with but what we've learned is everyone plays that deck but then the entire metagame just learns like oh the way you beat the death shadow is lantern control or the way you beat the humans is you go around them or you go bigger than them or you just play Teferi. Like, there's different ways, and Terminus, you know, there's different ways to go around these cards and, like, it takes a while to learn. Like, you have to get good at it. Right. Like, it's not because you're like, oh, there's an answer because if there was an answer that's easy, then that deck wouldn't be good. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's like learning how to properly play blue-white control to negotiate the board state and effectively use a Terminus is not something that you just, like, yeah, I'll just stop playing Toronto. Let's play Blue White. It'll be fine. Well, yeah, well, like, like with that, you know, you had humans was doing really well, and then people started playing Jace, and Jace wasn't by himself good enough, and Bloodbraid Elf was like right up the gates a much more explosive card, and then Teferi got printed, and then they started playing Teferi over Jace, and they were like, oh, we just play, we should just play both of these in Terminus, and like the most of the Blue White Control decks play a combination of five copies, right? It's I think like it's five to six. It's like there's it's like a, two and th- yeah, usually like yeah. two Teferi, three Jace. Yeah, Teferi's so good. Yeah, such a good match. I've seen card. four Jays, two Teferi. I've seen three, three. I've seen, I've seen eight. That seems wrong. <laughs> uh, last night I was looking through. Uh, last night I was looking through Dominaria, uh, rare and mythic to see like, are there any like dumb rares that I just like have copies of from draft that I didn't realize were worth money? And I was like scrolling through prices, and it's just like it's like three twenty six, four fifty four. I was like, yeah, of course. This is like an older. And it's like Teferi fifty five. You like, saw the Teferi folded, right? Did I? You have that. No, but I I showed it. Oh, it might be in a. No, no, it's you. I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah You yeah, know yeah. that I like... Okay, so I had... I opened my pack foil from that pre-release was Teferi, and... Which is why, I like... Yeah, but it was it's good. <laughs> but I had it as a commander for a, a, a Brawl deck, and I just, like, kind of forgot I had this Brawl deck, and so then I, like, grabbed that deck, took the deck out, because I needed the deck box or something else, and put a commander deck into it, which is a much thicker deck, and the Teferi got left in there, because the sleeve oh. was the same color as the box inside, and got folded in half. Uh, so that was $90 just wafting. And the nice thing, I have the command. Uh, it's just now a Geist. Like, it's a commander. It's now a commander foil. I had that happen to me <laughs> with a future side of Poker site. That's less. <laughs> ben, how will, you, how will your bank account ever recover? <laughs> I mean, I love a Poker site, so. Now every time I see the Teferi promo, I almost just buy it just to, like, replace it in my yeah. heart. Because <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I remember when you showed it to me, I was like, I'll take that for $5. Someone tried, yeah, someone was, like, offering 5 bucks. Like, what can I get it from you on Twitter? I was like. It's way worth way more worth having it and the story than to just like sell it. For $5. Yeah, like five dollars is not worth it still. 
So, but I yeah. Sell for 50. Yeah. I mean, it is a legally printed magic card, so it is usable in any magic tournament. You may just have to get a judge issued proxy for it. Oh, really? Uh, any magic card that has been printed by Wizards of the Coast, regardless of its condition, you may present your deck, your card to a judge and say, hey, I think this card might be considered damaged, and the judge can issue you an official proxy. They'll just create a proxy on a basic land, they'll uh, sign they'll the judge's sign name. And you just have to keep the card with your deck so that if your opponent wants to see the card, you can present it to them. I did not know that. Interesting. It's the thing because they, I think they realize that there are, especially when it gets to like vintage legacy, and legacy, vintage. there are people who have cards that there will never be another printings of them. And like, you know, if you have an arted up Black Lotus, but the ink on the art makes it a slightly thicker, you know, you don't want to be like out being able to Dirty play the grand. card. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, not, not to mention, like, I think with double face cards and with the like the the Kess issue we were talking about before uh maybe the before, before the, the, of the episode but um so Kess descendant mage best card in magic <laughs> uh is um at loam life of the loam is the best card in magic um is only is available in foil. only available in foil and so and the foils can warp and so it's considered a marked card in your deck and yep. so with cards that are only available in foil with double face cards with damaged cards that are old and reserved list cards, so there's not really a convenient way to force a person financially to be able to get those. Having a rule to be able to get around that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, as yeah. long as you have the card, a judge can cool. issue a judge issue. So proxy. I still have four full Teferis. They're not all foil. I have just four of them, yeah. <laughs> um, if need be, for a tournament. So so humans was the deck, uh, and people were trying to figure out how to beat the deck, and there was a lot of discussion about humans for a long time. Mm -hmm. Again, it the, a lot of the time these decks, unless they're unless they're combo decks, they tend to be kind of disruptive creature decks like sure. that that's that's a pretty common like well, theme the, and the issue with humans was always like what do you ban out of that deck and, and one of the issues like the cards that are most obvious to ban are not the most important cards of the deck like we talked about uh what's the ancient ziggurat uh, was the one that you and i, yeah, I brought up a lot to. that was like that was like the most logical if you were going to try to kill a card in that deck because like the other lands are good for other creature decks but ancient ziggurat is the most like it's just 12 five color lands, but that's not going to make the deck that much worse. Right. They've already adjusted their mana base. I mean, like, there was um, talks of, what's the the mana war? Uh, yeah, yeah, Reflector Mage. Reflector Mage, and that was mostly not because that card's that important to the deck, but because it was banned in standard, then it's like... Freebooter. There's a, a history behind it. Freebooter and, and Meddling Mage, but, like, that looks dumb on a... Yeah, on a ban like, list. A ban list. If I, like, was going through the modern ban list and I saw Freebooter, I'd be like, this seems... Yeah, medium. <laughs> I mean, if you were to ban Noble Hierarch, I guess it would affect the deck. Which is just is like bad for the format in general. And yeah, Hierarch's like super sweet. Like yeah, I, I think Noble Hierarch. If ninety nine percent of the time, if you're playing a Noble Hierarch in Modern, you're playing a deck that I think should deserve to exist. Well, so and, and in the end, Humans is really good. People are still playing it, but it's not the best deck. It's not even one of the two best decks. Mm -hmm. It's still playable. It's still good. It'll still win tournaments. But well, there's it, a moment that Spirits became better than humans just because the metagame shifted and they got a bunch of new cards out of M19. Like, yeah. It, 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 it's definitely a situation where just the format needed to get better at kind of hating it out. And, like, and, yeah. and it's good that Wizards didn't react as strongly as the internet hoped they would have. Yeah. It, uh, it, was, it was definitely a moment in time. I guess that was probably about a year ago or so. Mm -hmm. A little less than a year. Yeah, probably like a year. year it was a year ago. ago. It was... A, it, it was so, in timeline, the last time this happened was Humans. The time before that was Death Shadow, the yep. year before that. And um, currently it's Phoenix. Currently it's Phoenix and Dredge. Um, Dredge has been, like, Dredge is the storm of modern in some ways. Yeah, in right. In the sense that, like, I can see them banning a card out of Dredge. I don't think it should be Faithless Looting. It would be really sad if it was Faithless Looting. Faithless Looting does a lot of cool things for other decks. I like that Phoenix is a good deck. Um, we mentioned kind of what to do there, and... Dredge has already had cards banned out of it. You know, there's multiple cards on the ban list, all specifically banned because Dredge is a, a deck list. Golgari Grave Troll banned. Uh, you have what's the animate spell, reanimation spell, Dread Return. Dread Return banned. Like these are cards that you know Wizards doesn't want Dredge to be too good in the format, and they'll probably ban it. Like Storm has like six cards on the ban list, so like it's the same kind of deal. So if currently it's Dredge and Phoenix, and that those are both kind of fresh. Dredge is not that fresh. Phoenix is very fresh. Mm -hmm. If you go back to like the old school decks that like people have been saying this about for years, the Tron two is the most one that comes to mind. And Affinity, yeah, Tron well, and Affinity. So Mox Mox Opal is more out of Affinity because I don't think anyone's ever been like, man, Affinity is too strong. 
Years ago they were. That was sure. It, it, and like <laughs> I would say affinity is almost the earliest version of the conversation we're having in yeah. modern because there was a year or two there where affinity was like your game win percentage in match one was like or in game one was like 74% or something mm-hmm. like that. And like you would just like roll people over mm-hmm. and people hated that. I hated playing against affinity. Sure. Could not stand it. I'm surprised people haven't gone back to more because like people are like really onto the the hardened scales, hardened scales lists. I feel like those are worse than the regular lists, and just people are like so hot on the new tech. But like, it's it's actually a totally different deck. Is the interesting yeah, part? Yeah, it's it plays completely differently. Um, but I I think. Well, but, but if it, like affinity now gets brought up as a card that needs to be banned more because Mox Opal is randomly in the KCI War decks, like it was in Lantern, like it just shows up in other deck lists that seems like. This is maybe the slightly too powerful of a card. Do you have opals? Yeah, I have no opals, and I need to get I one. Might have three versus four. But I think I, I need to get an opal for the sake of you know no proxies. Yeah, and yeah. I don't want to buy one because like I still am afraid of. I'm still afraid <laughs> I, of the possibility. I have no opals, and I want it to be banned because I think that card needs to be banned, and I, I don't, don't want to have to acquire any opals. I think it's I think it's a, a what's it called type of card. Um, I think a deck would have to like a Cheerios, Cheerios style deck is what would get it banned. If like Lantern didn't get it banned, and yeah. KCI didn't get it banned, and Affinity didn't get it banned, like uh, Wizards has kind of made the point that the the staples of the format they don't want to get rid of. They'll more likely to get rid of like the niche cards from decks that seem to be problematic for other reasons. KCI being the best example, like they got rid of that card because it was weird for the rules more than anything. Like, right, it was and. So I, I like if that's not what gets Mox Opal banned. Same as Ancient Stirrings, I think is like safe. This is why I want preordained unbanned. Is like fine. Let Blue have one of the like be able to compete with Faithless Looting and Ancient Stirrings. So then on the other side of it, if we're talking Tron, because that we're ta- we talk yeah. Stirrings for a second. Tron has had what probably four or five significant iterations over the years. There was like once that card's banned out of it. I mean, I have Ugin was in it. There's Mono Green Tron. There was Green Red Tron. There's Eldrazi Tron. Has there been another like really sick? There was like blue white drawn early so, on. So 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 the first ever was green red. Green red is kind of where it started. Then well well well, 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 well first ever that? like top level tournament deck was green red because like it, people no, had no, played no. it. First level top tournament deck was uh, locust. <laughs> oh sure, the very first pro tour. <laughs> uh, so the very first pro tour and for the fir- like months after that, the locust lands were legal, and those are basically just the Tron lands on speed, where it's they they. They trigger each other. When it enters in play, you make mana equal to how many locust lands you have, so they all trigger each other. I'm trying. Gl- and the other Glimmer, ones can you Glimmer Post? Glimmer Post and Cloud Post. Yeah. And Cloud Post and Vesuva, that's right. They and Glitter, Glimmer Post is the one that's banned. And they would play and they would play all 12. And so you could get a million mana and, yeah, and, and, prim- and Primeval Titan. And Karn yeah. and all the things that Tron. Cloud Post is the one banned. Cloud Post, yeah, yeah. Cloud Post was the first one? Because yes. Glimmer gains you life. Glimmer yeah, gains yeah. you life. Cloud um, post comes into play tap, but that's right. scales with the number of posts you have. Right, right. Um, so that then gets banned. <laughs> so we're talking about cards that don't need to get banned, and then there's going to be bannings that happen this. Then red-green becomes just kind of the dominant one. Now, during that time, the other major version of it was blue. So mono green didn't show up actually really until pretty recently. And the green black versions that are playing thoughts thoughts that was also and relatively push recent. in the board. Like yeah. forever was like really those two. Then people started splashing white. I know uh, Josh Kim had a green yeah. white one for a long time, um, and that one's still kind of around. And then mono green became more of the firm one. Then the Eldrazi got printed, and then there's like eighteen different ones. And Eldrazi Tron played as a, largely a different deck. And yeah, Eldrazi Tron in a lot a of ways entirely. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Eldrazi Tron I like more as a deck. It's it's way less of a like big dumb thing that smash deck. Like Eldrazi Tron is like you you can just play like a ballista on turn two. Like that's uh, a thing that I would much is. rather Tron as it exists now be legal than Eldrazi Winter Eldrazi Tron. Yeah, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> um but but again, and I, I think the conversation with Tron for a while, you know, it did have a card banned, and mm-hmm. then it was do we need to ban stirrings or do we not need to ban stirrings? And that's basically the conversation with Tron. I don't think there's another card in Tron. Map. I could see getting rid of map. Yeah, I guess that's true. If like if Tron is itself a problem and the and ancient stirrings isn't the problem where they want to keep like the thing that one of the format defining cards the same way you would never brainstorm ban brainstorm in legacy, then map is the card I think you would get rid of. Or tower. If you want to really kill it. Well if you it. just want to kill it, yes, tower. But I think I don't think Wizards wants to do that. There are too many decks out people that have that deck out there that it would just basically And I also don't mind a format. Like I don't mind when somebody hits like I don't mind when somebody hits Tron off of like working for it. Like if they scrying or they map to hit their third piece. Mm-hmm. I mean obviously I wish I had a piece of interaction usually at that point, but like 
it you have to work for it. Mm-hmm. Like it's a you're spending cards to get your deck to that point, and it's like a fun it's a fun cat and mouse game in game two. I've always found with them like paying attention to how close they are to Tron and like how what's going to happen. What's the worst thing they could play if they hit Tron in the next turn? It's like okay, can I beat Nugan here? Because if I can't beat Nugan, I'm just going to lose. Mm-hmm. Plus, Tron is one of those decks that they've now been able to print several very effective sideboard yeah. pieces mm-hmm. between Blood Moon and Damping Sphere and Ceremonious yeah. Rejection, which. You can play multiples of all of those, and they're good against Tron, but also happen to be good against. Even like Lavinia got printed. Yeah, like there's like random other like just medium good hate cards. Poser cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like that's I what makes that... modern. That's what makes modern interesting yeah. is those cards existing. Right. You know. Yeah. Really, that's like that's. I mean, that's like the best thing in the world is when a deck is powerful, but a good player has the right cards in their sideboard for games two and game three mm-hmm. to like properly negotiate. Like that's that is what makes modern a great format. Well, I think I think this is actually a good time maybe to transition into the conversation about the Mulligan rule because uh, I want to discuss how the Mulligan rule affects Tron more than anything. So yeah, and I just really quickly before we do that, just because we're oh, two months now into this new system with Marshall as a producer, and I believe we mentioned this probably. In the role earlier, but we have a Patreon, guys. Patreon.com slash the MMCast. Um, we are going to be rebranding it and introducing some new stuff very soon. We're excited about that. Like, we definitely want to make it bigger and more interactive, more community for you guys. But if you want to help us continue to do the show, please, Patreon.com slash the MMCast. It's, it's the literal most important thing for our ability to continue to do the show for you guys and, and expand it, make it bigger and better. So um, let's get into the segment. Cool. So, for those who don't know, the way the new Mulligan rule works is you draw seven cards. I don't like this hand. It's all lands. Then you shuffle your, your, your hand back into your deck. You then draw another seven cards. And you're like, oh, well, I don't like this hand either. You shuffle that in. Now, this is the third time you do it. You draw seven cards. So, you keep drawing seven cards. And then, once you're like, oh, I like enough of the cards in this hand that I want to keep it, you then equal to how many times you've now mulliganed. So, in this example, I've now done it twice. So, I would take two cards of my choice from the hand put on the bottom of the deck, and I'll get to keep that hand of five. Um, small, intricate things, so something like Serum Powder, where uh, you then can do shenanigans with it that we'll go over later, but you would wait until after you have those five, and then you would use Serum Powder. So right. there's some intricate rules to it, but basically the idea is every time you mulligan, you drop the seven cards, and then once you decide you are done mulliganing, you then equal to how many times you've mulliganed to get rid of, basically discard that many cards onto the bottom of your deck. So it's a... There's a lot of conversation that has happened about this. There's a lot of articles that have been written. Alex and I have talked about it a ton off camera. Um, Obviously, on the front end, the thing that is the most significant is if you have really powerful sideboard cards or cards that you absolutely want in your opening hand, that's where this is going to favor you. That's like the point. Like the people who are talking about this as being a benefit, that's what they're focusing on. So uh, I think there's actually, I think that's tier two. Like I think there's tiers of decks that get better with this Uh, obviously the sideboard game is important but that only really starts mattering on game two um being able to get powerful sideboard cards so like but that's but it's beneficial and it's important but winning a game one is still going to be a big deal and decks that both either want specific cards that they're tutoring for basically or are looking to like you know Dredge doesn't want a specific card. The reason Dredge is getting better with this mulligan rule is because it now can make sure that Narcomoeba and Creeping Chill are never going to be in its opening hand. Right. And it allows decks like Lantern to be like, oh, I just want to get to two lands and a bridge, and now I can't lose. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, the decks that actually get to even more take advantage of, I want a smaller hand size, then... I can find a specific card or almost more an advantage that people aren't talking towards because their decks are now get to kind of break that role open a little bit better. And this is a little bit, if this if this plays the way that we expect it to, this is a little bit where the force of will in modern conversation actually becomes more relevant. Mm-hmm. Because if you are able to mulligan down to your bridge on, ter- you know, your turn, whatever bridge, like that's where you're going to want to have that force of right. will, right? That's like, or, or, you know, they're going to mulligan down to their spirit guide chalice hand so they can just shut you out. Right. Like, that's where you're going to need the free counter spell. And, well, so so this is the, you know, we have a list of here of tiers and we're kind of just throwing that list out the window because we're not just talking about all of them, but, <laughs> and we will get maybe into it specifically. I think the underrated or the under the radar best card out of this new role is Thoughtseize. Like, if my opponent is a combo deck or control deck, and I'm on the play, and, and they, they mulligan go down to four, to four or yeah. five to get the one card that they need, and I turn one thought sees them, they lose. 
Yeah. No, I com- I was thinking that too. I was thinking like you know all the all the control decks like just any single piece of disruption right. against a four card hand that has the card they want well, is like, so good. And Jund is a deck that already wants to play in top deck mode. There's a reason that that deck is so good with Liliana the Veil. It's just like every card it's playing is that level of power level. I would maybe go to Junk versus Jund, but like, oh no, I've like thought Seed one card. I'm at four cards. I have three lands in play, or four. I've been able to draw enough lands to play Liliana and to blood braid off. Like, how do you beat that? Hand? Yeah, but, like, and, and the other crazy thing, too, is, like, so the decision of whether you're going to mulligan aggressively is heavily dependent on whether or not you're on the player of the draw. Yeah. Like, you have to, it, when you know that, it's like, okay, I'm making a totally different decision here. And then the other crazy part about it is, like, if you know in game two what your opponent is playing and they've mulliganed down to four, like, it's the whole, like, I don't have to declare my mulligan until you declare your mulligan thing, sure. which is, like, usually kind of an afterthought in Tournament Magic, becomes so significant. Oh, here. yeah. It's such a different experience here than it used to be, where it's, like, you literally, you know, a good Magic player shuffles their deck, they look at their hand, and if they're on the draw, they look at their opponent totally stone-faced. They don't show them any expression. Just, like, it's general practice to wait to hear what your opponent's going to do before you decide. Now, that becomes such a significant piece of strategy. Oh, right. You have to, like, not give any indication of how you feel about your hand until you know what they're doing. Well, you already should have been doing that, but yes, this makes it, like, the mulliganing process has now become a little mini game Because there's even the level of, if I'm a dredge player and you're anyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mulligan, and then you mulligan. I'm like, okay, mulligan again, and then you mulligan again. <laughs> Like, are you on Leyline? Am I, like, now trying to make sure that I have, like, cards that I can cast without using my graveyard? Am I mulliganing now? That, yeah, like, right. Oh, I brought an ancient, or I brought in a, any graveyard hate graveyard hate card so I can, like, destroy your Leyline. So now I'm like, okay, now I need to make sure I find. That's just where I'm trying to tell yeah. you. In the game two version of this is so much more significant than the game one version. Oh, no, it's fun. I'm, I, like, I think that's <laughs> cool, but I think that, like, does this mulligan rule make your deck better in all fo- in all modes is more relevant than does this make my sideboard game more interesting? Because I think the, the other part of it is, yes, I can now find more powerful sideboard cards against you, but you can find your sideboard card sideboard cards. <laughs> yeah. And so... It makes everybody's game two and three more interesting, right. regardless of what deck you're the playing. Anti, the, yeah, the anti-sideboard game is going to be hilarious because yeah. people have to do that already in modern, the meta. Like, they're going to bring in this, so I'm going to do this. Well, before it was like, okay, because well, now, like, mulliganing is not good, but, like, the percentage of times I don't want to mulligan is way lower. Going to six is so much less problematic than staying at seven, and so... Yeah. One thing I, I do want to bring up that I, I don't know for sure if this is true, but I believe Scry is gone if this Mulligan Scry rule will be gone, yeah. So I think that's actually a positive, not because I don't like the Scry rule. I think it's fine. But I think that, you know, I forget who it was. I think it was Ari Lax wrote an article when Scry was brought back for just made Evergreen. And his kind of point was like, Scry is one big problem that people don't consider. The more people touch their decks, the more likely they are to cheat. Or the more likely they are sure. to like make big mistakes, like accidentally drawing cards or doing something dumb. And so Scry is just an entire layer of like, I can look at two cards where without you noticing that I looked at two cards, or I can do this. And so it makes it gives less of an opportunity for people to take advantage versus the Smulligan rule, where like the worst case scenario here, I think, is someone discards two cards instead of three cards, and be vigilant on that. I think that's something that will happen: is people will mulligan four times but only discard three cards at the end or shuffle their cards back into their deck instead of putting it on the bottom and like that's which to be honest i think it should i think like the major change i would make from this versus what it is now after the pro mythic championship it's gonna take a while (laughs) uh is it should shuffle and not put to the bottom so very important question i'm looking over the outline here Mm -hmm. i'm looking at the different things the topics that we want to talk about here with smaller hand sizes guaranteed states bridge from below True or false, Alex Kessler wrote that as a joke <laughs> or intentionally? Uh, <laughs> Definitely unintentionally. <laughs> Ooh, do they print the 3-1 that you can sa- exile a black card from your graveyard to put into play? Uh, Icarid? Do they print Icarid in the Modern Horizons? They probably do. You think so? You think that's like an easy include? Yeah. yeah. Does that make Bridge from Below the actual, actual Bridge one from Below better? Maybe. Or playable even. Now, one of the reasons Bridge is better in Dredge and Legacy is because no one's playing with creatures in Legacy, and Modern is way more creature-heavy, so it's much easier for me to, like, bolt my own creature and wreck you. Yeah. But, uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, the so, next the next uh, piece... what oh. I meant was ensnaring Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm well aware. <laughs> uh, the, the next thing on here that I, I want to talk about is it says cards that it affects, right? So, cards that you want to have in your opening hand 
that you specifically want to have in your opening hand. So that's stuff like the Ley Lines, the Chancellors, Gemstone Caverns, that new Sphinx. Um, I think this is this is also this is the first place everyone's brain went to, right? Like, oh, I have after my first mulligan, one, two, three, four, five, six, all added together. So whatever, like ten. 21 extra cards that I get to look at um, that I wouldn't have had before to find cards I need. Right. And that means decks like that just are looking for combos. We were talking about Goryo's Vengeance decks before this started. Like that deck literally just needs Faithless Looting, uh, Grizzle Brand, and a land. And a Goryo's Vengeance. And a, and a yeah, Goryo's Vengeance. And like is really far ahead if it has those four cards. <laughs> I think also, I think also like. Um, the reality of turn one chalice becomes such a difference than it, like currently you can turn one chalice in prison decks like it happens mm -hmm. people do it with gemstone caverns and spirit guide but like people are forgetting that it when you're playing against the deck that can do that to you you hope to dodge it sometimes it hits you and, mm -hmm. and then you play around it but like if decks can just start to mulligan down to that there are some decks guide chalice yeah or or gemstone caverns sure. chalice there are just going to be decks that just like straight up lose game one just they have no chance of winning. Right. Decks that play like twenty four one drops. If you're if you're a deck who is yeah, well then, then this has a whole other layer to the Mulligan game of like okay so I'm trying to get Leyline of the Void into play, and I know my opponent is Dredge and yeah. he is playing um what's the one green destroy thing? Nature's Do I Nature's claim? Yeah, nature's yeah. claim. Do I now try to also get Leyline or or Chalice into play on turn one with Simeon Spirit Guide? Am I trying to out maneuver his outmaneuver of my maneuver <laughs> i mean yeah the cat the cat and mouse game but the, the reality is when you start to get down to like three and four and five cards the likelihood of actually having the correct combination of things is low sure. well, i think i think, I think chalice is interesting I, I think it's it's a little less powerful than other combo like tron for instance is another one like like yeah. i can mulligan down to just having tron and mulligan just, like, down to two, every card mulligan down to two tron pieces and a Map tutor or a tutor is going to be something you're yeah. able to do in tron almost every better. single game uh, i think tron gets better and worse i think tron is kind of a wash more than any other deck because it now is able to get tron more easily but the decks that are bad matchups for tron are the ones most likely to be benefited by this rule right. change um I mean, glorious vengeance is the one that i think is the most interesting or like because that deck has always been in fact that deck has been on the conversation of should this have a card banned out from it just because it could win on turn one like its power level was like has a weird moment it has to get really lucky but now it's a lot easier to get really lucky right Right. Yeah, I mean I think I think the ley lines, you know, that's definitely an interesting one. I think Gemstone Caverns is very, very good. Mm -hmm. I think the ability to start with two lands, like consistently having the ability to start with two lands in play, mm -hmm. there's a lot of decks that that's gonna just be a house. Mm -hmm. You know, you can catch back up in modern, there's lots of things you can do that get you card advantage. So but there's not a lot of things you can do to get to two lands. Like there's So is it gonna be better than Mox Opal? I don't know if it is. Caverns. Um maybe. Maybe yeah. Marshall shaking his head no. Well, because Gemstone Caverns is not an artifact, right? And I think I think part of Mox Opal's power is that it's a zero cost artifact in a deck that wants to flood the board with artifacts. Yeah, yeah it's and, fair. And, and so like, I think it's gonna be fine. I think it's way better than it was before. Uh, I think that we have there are decks that will definitely take advantage of it. The Gorius Rangers deck is a good example of that actually as well because it's just having two lands on turn one. That's you know any deck that plays Simeon Spirit Guide maybe now plays it, but. I don't think it's better than Mox Opal, and I don't know if it's better than Simeon Spirit Guide. Yeah. Um, now, Serum Powder, which we talked about, about talking about in the future, we're now there, <laughs> uh, is a card that also gets much better and works. So at first, we thought it didn't work with the rule. We thought it only worked with your opening hand because right. it, like, the way it explains rules doesn't work the way you thought it would. But um, we, I do think that it just in general is going to be a stronger card here. Like This, this is now the time for it to exist because you get extra extra mulligans out of the situation um yeah i'm starting to think about like all the things you can do like just based on this list like okay so chancellor of the tangle is a card that has people have talked about for a long time as a possible in modern i have 36 foils yeah uh, foils you bought foils i, I bought 36 foils and 36 uh regulars i think i have 72 copies of it <laughs> and i have a few of them it's chancellor of the tangles is, is, is a cycle from new phyrexia of rares each color had one if you had it in your opening hand you got to do something and they're all pretty mediocre the green one is the best one i want to say it's a four seven reach for like seven mana mm -hmm. and if you have it in your opening hand you can reveal it and add green to your mana pool in your mm -hmm. first main phase so it's, it's like there's a char belcher deck in modern that is uh 
up to this point has not been playable because the the deck was fun when you the way the deck was fun was oh it worked uh one out of four games that's what you were trying to do not oh i'm winning one out of three two out of three games which is what you need a deck to do in modern right (laughs) so with this new rule it could get to i'm now winning 1.5 out of three games so now it becomes a tier two deck two three deck versus a tier not a deck um but chancellor the tingle is the main card out of that deck with simian spirit guides and um other things now elvish spirit guide no they don't print that in the no. horizons i mean and then like what do you do with your chancellor the tangle once you reveal it are you playing like some deck like with like nourishing shoal or something like wants to... so it's it's well that i'm just thinking of other things you can do like oh, I, sure. i'm just trying to think of other ways if you're going to consistently be able to hit two mana on turn one which it seems like it does seem like with this new rule you'll be able to between if between uh chance of the tangle simian spirit guide and gemstone caverns mm-hmm. They're now giving you, and this rule, you will have two mana on turn one in a deck if you want it 100% of the time. So what does that mean? That's the uh, question. 100% of the time is a strong statement. But if you have 12 <laughs> copies in your deck. Yeah, Char Belcher, I, I built the deck, and it does not get that. With the new Mulligan rule, it's better, and but like even then it was like, I don't know if it gets you there 100% of the time. That's a strong... I mean, the, we're talking about things that you just said. You see 21 more cards. Sure. I, think, I think it's safe to say if you have 12 copies and what you need is a land, one of those cards, and something to do with it, you'll get it 100%, like maybe like 94% oh, oh, of the time. Oh, sure. Sorry, I was under three <laughs> mana. Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay, right? Continue. Like, that's all I'm saying. It's, yeah. I, I think it's a pretty significant You can, you can guarantee two mana. You can't guarantee the three that you would need to really do anything. So, like, Trinisphere on turn one or something? Yeah, right. There's, or Belcher? Yeah. I mean, like, you can do it. I, I think that... I don't think... As a person who would love this card to be good because I have so many of them and I would just sell them and make money off of it, I don't think Chancellor Tangle can ever be that good. I think like the one deck you would do something with it is decks that you want to be able to get to like four mana for free without having lands in your deck. Yeah. And that type of deck is not great. And if you're going to not want that, then just Simeon Spirit Guide is better 99% of the time and you don't want four terrible seven fours in your deck that cost seven mana. I think thinking about the prison deck, the, the mono red prison deck, that plays Desperate Ritual in an attempt to get Blood Moon on turn two, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see that deck get better. I think that deck's going to have a turn one Blood Moon most of the time. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's no, no, the, the, the white-red prison decks get better. But, like, the, once again, they're the decks that have the worst matchups. Get, like, when Dredge is good, that deck is bad. Right, because Dredge doesn't care. Because they're like, oh, I have a bunch of free... free I, have, I, have this, I have this mountain and Faithless Looting in my yeah. hand. You Cathartic lose. Green, you lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank um, you for playing a Blood Moon on turn two. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty telling, I think, that... Um, you know, because Faithless Looting is essentially careful study with flashback. Right. And a careful study is not legal in modern. But in a funny way, if we could ban Faithless Looting and swap it for careful study, these Faithless Looting... Like, some of them, like Phoenix, would still be like, all right, careful study, that's cool. But... Considering one of the major hate cards against the prolific mana bases in modern turns everything into mountains, which can still uh, cast faithless lootings. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I, I think I think it's seventy five percent. I think like I think only twenty five percent of faithless looting is the flashbacks out of it. I think seventy five percent of it is the one mana draw. No, two I think, cards. but I think but I'm talking about the point that it's red, red no, no, instead yeah, yeah, of blood mooning right. those decks out. If you if blood mooning them out means that they have to have blue to cast their careful study. It makes it makes yes, but I think Blood Moon is five percent of the format, if not less. Not like I, I think was... on the list of things of that I'm worried about in modern. And this is a person who I want Blood Moon gone, but not for power level perspective. But yeah. but I, I think I was more meaning that um, Faithless Looting is showing up in a ton of non-blue decks. Sure. So if you had to go into, it's funny that like the best card draw spell in modern is a red card, not a blue card. Correct. And well, this is my complain about preordain is faithless looting and i think if you unbanned preordain faithless looting and interest earnings are still better than it yeah right so why is it unba- why, why is blue the worst what if you <laughs> were to unban preordain but ban faithless looting uh i think that that's fine i think that's possible i think that the format is worse for not having faithless looting in it i think it lets enough decks do cool stuff yeah that it would be worse and like yeah i don't know yeah, I so, want Corey's Vengeance to be good. <laughs> any other comments that we have on the London Mulligan rule? So we talked about we talked about decks that we talked about kind of discard decks. We talked about how Jun gets much better because it's a deck that both can deal with a smaller hand size and has thought seeds that destroy these decks. We talked about I guess eight rack gets a lot better. Eight rack gets much better. I guess eight rack becomes a, like probably yeah. becomes a real. Like Thoughtseize deck. is a card that people aren't talking about that does get better in this world to the extent that if Thoughtseize is relatively inexpensive or even Inquisition, not a bad time to pick them up. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Emrakul's way better. <laughs> like and that's in the same conversation as creeping chill and and narcomy about a dredge but like there are 
a lot of decks out there. And and what's the other the art big artifact creature that your life total can't change? Steel. Oh, pla platinum imperium. Platinum, platinum imperium. Both like the deck that's decks that want a card in your deck that you cast a spell that lets you then cheat that card in the deck into play by it being in your deck, and that card is bad when it's in your hand. Get a bump. And it's not a bit. It's not as big as some of these other conversations, well, but some people pointed out on you asked before we started recording to Twitter um, to get people to respond on the subject today, and uh, some people are talking about that if you're a cascade based deck planning on cascading into those no casting cost mm -hmm. of spin cards, this gets better because you don't want to see those no casting cost right. of spin cards in your opening hand, so you can shuffle them all away. Um, but if you're playing a more like as foretold electro dominance version of the deck, then your deck doesn't get right. better by this, but. Well, and, and yeah, you go back and and there's like, although I think it gives you more chances to have right. a. I think the that's two the thing. Like yeah. rug, rug, ancient, not ancient grudge, an, uh, ancient ancestral visions. Ancestral visions. Yes, I think one of the things that I'm the most excited about for this rule. Um, we're talking about all the high level stuff, all the tier one. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of sweet, super fun brews that I've come up with that other people have posted online that people try to you know take dailies with that require you to have synergy between underpowered cards. It's a thing that you try to do all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do. It's especially hard to compete with a really good decks doing that. Whether or not it will make any of those decks highly competitive, I think there's a lot of fringe decks in the wings that are going to be really cool mm -hmm. that people are going to have a chance to finally play mm -hmm. and feel with some confidence they'll be able to hit. Like, e even just, like, thinking about some of the ones I've sleeved up against you over the years, like, do you remember the Cloud Form deck with, like, Eater of Days and, like, Hunt and Horror? Yeah. And or like the Cloud Form and Emberful decks? Like, those are... No, I, that, that one I never did because I... but. Sorry, that was yeah, yeah. People were trying to do that. You were trying to sneak in hunted horror instead. I was trying to do stuff I could cast <laughs> on turn two. Sure, but also then like make into like seven yeah, seven yeah. flying versions. Decks like that where like they're like almost there but not quite. Mm -hmm. Having that extra level of consistency means that I'm not thinking I'm going to win a GP with a deck like that, right. but it might be really fun to take that to an F and M and do well with it. Well, that's kind of like when when I was pointing at polymorph and there's an artifact polymorph that can get blight steel in the play even and like, shape a new shape a new and like there are tier four shape a new and uh polymorph decks that are just like i'm playing the land that makes the one one plant token or i'm making i'm using uh the one drop that makes a clue token and like different ways to get those in the play and then sack it to get an emerald in play and now those decks are better because you can find just the one polymorph you need to win and counter magic back up and you can like i think even decks like the, the one that's interesting because this is a deck that classically is bad having a smaller hand size but might be better is um scape shift decks where yeah. it's like i need a scape shift and i need ramp cards but i like i kind of need a lot of cards in my hand mulliganing is bad now that i can target what i'm getting does this deck get better and there's a bunch of decks on the line that could fall either way of like this is much better now because i can find my combo pieces but i'm like storm where i need as many cards as possible so we just have how do to I win we just have to really hope that we're not going to get the pro tour and find that Dredge is just Eldrazi Winter, and this was a bad decision. That's well, no, but then they just they they, they banned Dredge. They nuke Dredge out of the ground. Yeah. Like I, I think like I think if this Mulligan rule was great, except Dredge is just too good now, or Faithless Suiting decks in general are too good now, or Goro's Vengeance is too good. You yeah, know, we can think of like eight different decks we've mentioned that might get too good. We need to just ban it. Like, but every other deck is great. The meta game on day one looked tight. People were playing cool decks all over the place. These are magic pros that know what they're doing, so they built these decks with a reason. It's just like Dredge was just better than everything else. Then you ban Kong Flagrant. When is the when is the Pro Tour the the, the Magic Championship? It's in April. April twenty sixth through twenty eighth. It is literally the same weekend as Endgame. That's what it is. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, also, I realize well, it's yeah, also we, the same weekend as the pre release. Yeah, it's the same weekend as the pre release. That's what I forgot. So that's because like that was a big complaint is that the, it's in London, which is a very small Magic community. As far as parts, because it's just like not a big, yeah, physical place. Like the UK is an island, <laughs> uh, and so by having the pre-release, then there's going to be so many people in all of London that go to that pre-release instead of playing at their local game stores. And pre-releases are the main way local game stores make money on Magic, and so it's like a probably the worst, not the worst, because there are smaller communities that have Magic involved in them. But like this was a bad 
Mythic Championship to put it on a pre-release because it's in London. Well, and like that, I mean, a similar experience. Like I used to, I was going to, I grew up and I used to live at, go to college in the Ohio Valley, and Columbus used to have a massive pre-release weekend every mm-hmm. every weekend. And so for the longest time, our local game stores didn't think of pre-releases as something that made them money, right? Because well, everyone, yeah, everyone, everyone was just yeah. going to drive three hours to Columbus if you're in Cincinnati yeah. or you're in Indianapolis, where, wherever you are, you're just going to go to Columbus because there's a massive convention center, massive like. 12, 1500 person pre release. The pre release in LA used to be by LAX and just they ran out the Radisson and just that's awesome. where PDQs used to be and it was Love great. Uh, but it was bad for local game stores and I, I go back and forth on it. I, I do think that this is a little bit of a loss. Like if this was in Chicago, if this was a Mythic Championship Chicago, the Midwest would probably go to it, some of it, but a lot of people just still go to their local game store. Most kids would go to their local game store. But in London, where it's like, there's a metro station that can get me to wherever this is. It's really hard. And there's going to be artists there and right. all sorts of things that. Yeah. But back to the conversation with happens with the Pro Tour with this Mulligan rule. What's happening there? Yes, it's the same week as Endgame. But you see on Thursday night. We're not. I'm not seeing <laughs> Avengers. See it on Thursday night. Yeah. I'll have seen it. You, you, we talked about this already that you getting into a pre-screening for Avengers. Is I got into the last one. I'll get it. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna see it Thursday night. I'll probably be dressed up. I will spoil it for you. Probably in a Star Lord costume because that's the only <laughs> costume I have for the Avengers currently. Hmm. You know how hard it is to find a good Bucky costume? It's really hard. You've looked. I've looked. Hmm. Me and Whitney were gonna do Captain America and the Winter Soldier that Halloween after Winter Soldier came out, and cool. like could not find a Winter Soldier costume to save my probably life. Probably easier now. Yes, easier now. You just need to reach out to the cosplay community. I know, but that's. I don't have time. I wish I had time to make a cosplay. I would make a. I would make a gender bent like cast cosplay tomorrow if I had the time to actually pull that off. Um, well, we'll you could we'll, we'll in, work in lieu of that make a Geist of Saint Tras. Uh, that's harder. <laughs> Most of Kess's costume is like a, a robe that's tatters on the bottom and like a like a, a an armor chest plate. You like have and the like extra robe in your trunk things. at all times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like gave it to me at a Star Wars screening <laughs> once. Like that's an easy costume. Geist of Saint Tras is like religious ghost wear and a giant sword and like. Yeah. I even have so uh, uh, Whole Foods has vodka, a, a vodka brand that comes in little blue potion bottles. That's like exactly what Cass has, like floating around her. Oh, very cool, sweet. <laughs> uh, so I have a question before yeah. we end the episode. Uh, at the next modern Jeep uh, m- uh, GP you go to, I guess it episode. is now called a Mythic Championship. Championship? No, no Mythic Magic Fest. They're still magic called Fest. Grand the next Green. Magic Fest. Sure, the next GP you play in at a Magic Fest. Yeah. Are you playing a Grand Architect deck now that the new Mulligan rule lets you play bad cards, or are you going to make day two again and make play with a good deck? I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I thought about this a lot. I really, really, really enjoyed playing Phoenix. I had a great time at that GP. It was a great, it was a great Magic Fest period. It was mm-hmm. fun to play well. It was embarrassing to play badly with the first game I had ever played with that deck. Um, Which, okay, so we haven't talked about this because I wasn't on last week's episode. In Ben's defense, he had not played that deck before that game. He literally... I played an FNM the night before without thing in the ices. I yeah, had like, half the deck I, I wasn't like a, in the deck the night before. The night before at the FNM was the first time he played the deck ever because he like put off actually deciding that he was actually going to do this until the last minute. So it's not a, it's not defensive missing triggers. Like I made a ton of mistakes. I was happy I won. Well, like, but like it was... On camera is hard. On camera is a difficult... I'm defending you. Let me defend you. <laughs> <laughs> All last week, Ben, you did think he was going to come here and drag you. So uh, revel in... Yeah, yeah. Revel no, in I'm Alex's sparing praise. The fact that he got to day two for the first time in his life in a modern GP because he played a good deck because he I forced him to. That's my re- like bearing you in the ground. But on camera is super difficult. It is it, like pro players have talked about it, is the easiest place to make mistakes. Period. Like in a Magic turn because it's so much pressure. You have lights on you. Cards are harder to see because lights are on you. Like it's just a harder thing to do. And then on top of that, first round at a GP, first round you ever playing the deck. Period. Like the, you sat down and saw Thing the Ice and play for the first time in front of you on yeah, camera. I was, like, I was like, "Can I? Uh, I gotta read <laughs> this card? That card ever before? Do never, you mind if I take it out it. of the sleeve and make sure I know what it does on the, on the back side? Like, <laughs> I'd like watch some people play it. Like, I, I I was excited about it, but like I couldn't get him that night. Before, and you still so. won. Like, yeah. like beyond all of that, and you won against Elves, which was the deck you drew against the last time you were on camera yeah, at a GP. So like, props. Good job. You made mistakes. People make mistakes. I make dumber mistakes every day playing Magic. And congratulations on making day two. Thank you. Uh, now, the answer you- to the question is, <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was really fun. I I don't know what the next one, what I'll play. It's it's possible that it's possible I'll play another good deck. That deck is totally my wheelhouse, so it felt really good to play it. 
I like coming up with my own ideas and I've come up with some that are better than others. It's possible that I will continue to work on ideas, but not play something that is as off the wall. Like mm-hmm. maybe take an established archetype and maybe try to tweak it a little bit so that it's like a little bit more my... Add, like some, has, add some spice. Yes. Yeah. And maybe, I sympathize with the spice adding. Maybe. I don't know though. Maybe I'll just play a good deck. It's It was... I still enjoyed all throughout the day talking to listeners in the show, meeting the community, getting to play against decks that I don't get to play against that often. Like real time getting to feel the nuances of modern at a GP, which I don't get to do that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got a lot out of the experience that had not that much to do with the deck I was playing. It just had to do with the experience of being there and like playing a deck that was good. Yeah. It was like just a good, just a good pile of cards that when you draw your opening hand, you feel excited about yeah. it. Yeah. So. Well, you got that many more chances now with the new mulligan rule to mulligan to Pili Pala Grand Architect. So, oh, God. There's a way you, you didn't realize that. <laughs> I mean, you get <laughs> every you mulligan you get gives you seven cards, and if two of them are Grand Architect and Pili Pala, and you can keep some lands, like shit the rest of that garbage. The Grand Architect Pili Pala version with Collected Company is one that I've I've like messed around with in my head for a long time because hitting both Grand Architect and Pili Pala end of turn off a Collected Company seems like just so possible. Mm-hmm. You'll just like luck sack the win sometimes. I've always been like almost there with that, but I've never quite gotten there. So. That does seem kind of good, right? You're talking. I can see your face. Kind of. No. Okay. You need a third <laughs> card still. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> Blue Sun would, Zenith or something similar. Nobody. Okay, you have a choice of playing Grand Architect, Pili Pala, a card that doesn't do anything unless you're winning, and a random other card that you can use infinite mana for, or you can play any of the cards that were in Collected Companies decks. I think, I think right off the bat, good and attack for two at least. This will this will be my this will be my rant that I'll just go on really quickly before we finish. But I think right off the bat. This deck would also play Mirror Superior. Um, you Architect cast Superior, right? You if you're playing Hierarch to get a turn to uh, Architect. Bad. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> if you're playing Hierarch to get a turn to Architect, mm-hmm. right? You can then chain that into a Superior, mm-hmm. but you also have the ability now between Pili Pala, uh, Hierarch, and Architect to have tons of mana producing creatures that can just cast the, the five six. So mm-hmm. it's a good card. And on top of that, you have Collected Company that can just get you a combo end of turn that can also hit your superiors. So I think as long as you built the deck around that a little bit to have some just like I win moments, I think that it's not bad. Collect a company would be bad in this deck. I think that if you wanted to do this deck, you want to go with more of a trinket mage situation that's finding the XX guy that walking ballista because that's actually the card you're going to use to win with. And every other card that you can think of you're going to win with is not as good as that card. And then also because trinket mage can tap for blue man off the thing. But... Deck's bad. <laughs> I said Marshall's face was so much more excited for my version yeah, than yeah. your version. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I do think Walking Ballista is the logical one of the logical spouts to use Play your Peely Paula. Sweeter card. Your Peely Paula. Uh, but also, I'm I'm still hoping one of these days we're going to be able to have a uh, what's the trinket um, survival of the fittest. Artificer's oh, Intuition. Yeah, yeah. Huge fan of that one. I have a Highlander yeah. Roulette Wheel that has it in it. It's sweet. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that's going to wrap us up for the day. We... Oh, one last thing. Thanks, everyone who came say hi to me. I didn't do the Magic Fest episode that you did with Michael because I was not in town. So yeah. I'm going to shout out people. Thank you, everyone that came by, said hi. Thanks, everyone that I got to hang out with. It, like, uh, Trick, uh, Jerry, I think the other day, or someone from Wizards posted, a, like, what are your favorite Magic moments? And I honestly think Magic LA, the last one that Magic Fest LA, was one of the best Magic moments of my entire Magic career. It was, I it was great. I had a great time. Agree completely. It was it was a wonderful experience. Thanks everyone that came to the sh- uh, to the, to the yeah, meetup. Yeah, we had Thanks a great meetup. Um, yeah, yeah, it was super great. Um, and thank you to everybody who for saying hi as well. That's like one of my favorite parts about going to these things. Yep. So, all right, guys, we'll be back same time, same place next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.